Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sindard with Gospel App Ministries. We're so pleased to have you with us. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular right now, the section in Matthew 4 where Jesus is calling his disciples. Very important. We'll see as we keep going through it. But this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 28. Same author, Matthew 28, when he says, go and make disciples. This is what they thought about. And, and you can see why that... Uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 are a little troubling. This is how he wants them to do it, right? So Matthew 4, 17 uh, to 22. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with his with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately, same Greek word, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. All right, we've covered a little bit of this. We're going to pick up in 419. I will make you fishers of men. And then we'll go back, actually, and look at repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. All right. So Jesus says, I will make you. The, the Greek word is poieo. It is causal, meaning I'm going to make this happen. And I'm going to make you fishers of people, humanity. I will do this. This is Jesus talking, right? This is God. So the expectation is, you know, it's just going to happen. Uh, a surprise because of what we find out about Simon and Andrew and James and the and the rest, right? So it's not maybe, or if you do this, or if you follow me, it really is this command. I'm going to create. Uh, think again of Genesis 1. We've talked about the Spirit f- uh, flowing over the formlessness and void pre-creation of, uh, of the world, and he speaks, he baraz, and there is form, there is function, there is life. And this is Jesus doing the same thing. I am going to, these words are going to make you be disciples, fishermen who catch people, right? And Jesus has to do something, make something happen to them, make something happen in them, because this isn't, we don't understand this, that, that they were actually wanting to be disciples, that they wanted to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, Andrew, perhaps, uh, like I said in the last podcast, but they need to be forcefully equipped and changed by Jesus, and he's going to do it. That's what he does. He still does. And they too will then, they will rescue people in the same way. Uh, again, we'll talk more about that. It's a massive change that's going to need to take place. I mean, today we do weekend conferences on evangelism, right? teach people the gospel, how to say it, how to respond, and that's good stuff. Uh, but Jesus I think is speaking of something uh, stranger. He's making them, and he will make them, effective evangelists. And by that, I mean not just communicate. That when they speak, Jesus working through them will actually make Jesus followers. Does that make sense? A little scary. So I digress. Is there a word for what happens in our minds, our wills, and emotions, uh, or the mind and will of emotions of people like Simon Peter? who are called by Jesus in this way. Yeah, I think the word is miracle. Um, I also want to go back to verse 17 and talk about this in a larger arch, repent. 
Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. John the Baptist, back in chapter 3, verse 2, we've covered it in a previous podcast. He, He used the exact same phrase in the Greek, word for word, letter for letter. And he's using it for Jews who came to be baptized. So technically, it's the Greek word metanoia, and it refers to among other things, changing the way you think or see things, change your motivation, why you do certain things. You change directions. So we speak of it this way. You were sinning. You were okay with sin. You were okay with your lack of relationship with God, your celestial loneliness. And then you, quote, unquote, see. You get it. And then you change. You decide. You choose to go a different direction. Your life changes. You change your direction related to your sin and broken relationship with God, and you work hard to not sin anymore. Now, for John, the context would have been taken uh, that, that this is from a Jewish perspective, right? You can see, can't you, Jew, that you're out of step with Torah, and that you know the consequences of that, the curses. And so you commit, you feel guilt, you feel shame, you come out and get baptized, and you commit to getting in step, in line with the Torah. But fascinating, Jesus is now using that exact same phrase, not in the Jordan River for Judeans, but in an international context for both Jews and Gentiles. And remember from an earlier podcast, all of the repentances of the Jews who went to be baptized by John were rejected by God. There was only one son who was ordained, who became the son of God, who was blessed. The rest were still subject to curses, right? Go back and listen to that. But now something has changed. There's something new on the horizon, light in the darkness, right? We have four people who responded and repented. That's the idea. I think that's why Matthew puts this, uh, the calling of the disciples right after that bold proclamation of Jesus to repent. So this is a new kingdom repentance, and it's not limited to the old one. The old one was limited to a human regret or human sorrow for our falling short to do the things that God told us to do, our covenant. And the idea is if I don't change, I'm afraid that he's going to smite me and should. Uh, I remember Gary Larson cartoon where guys walking along, little boys walking along, he's walking under an piano on a, on a rope, and uh, God's looking at the boy on a TV screen, and he's about to push the smite button. And, and that's the idea is, if you don't repent and change, uh, Jew, you'll be s- smote. I think that's the past tense. And that is technically still how we narrowly define repentance and treat it in an evangelical context. But as we'll see, I, I hope I can convince you it's so much more. So, Jesus's repent is so much bigger. It's the idea is no one is righteous, no not one, no confession or no human repentance is ever enough. It's it's not good enough, it's not legit enough. It's always too thin, always too fleeting, always too tainted, too soiled, too changing, right? It's good one day, but you know what? It's gone the next, right? Tell me I'm not the only one who's who suffers from that. And so Jesus speaks a creative, bold proclamation, bara, you know, just speaking, and he says, repent, and something happens. There's repentance, but it looks different. The people, those four in particular, now want to pursue following him. By the way, that's their greatest sin, is not following them, uh, him, and they want to follow him as they are, and needy, 
empty hands. They drop everything. But now they begin to truly seek their significance, their security, their belonging, their enoughness and connectedness from him. That wasn't happening before. A little or a lot, they follow Jesus. Again, their biggest sin was they didn't follow, now they do. So a new journey has begun, a journey fleshing out repentance. It's not perfect. We'll, we see that, right? Neither is mine. Far from it. But it's finally in the right direction and made of the right substance. Behind Jesus's daily lead, there they are. They are doing what repentance requires. They're following Jesus. They're depending upon Jesus. They're leaning, there's their identity, there's the value and enoughness and connectedness. It comes from leaning into Jesus. They get that now. Something has changed. And this is the godly sorrow, the godly repentance that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. I've spoken about that on previous podcasts. So now they're dependent not on their capacity to get it right, but now they've seen the light. They get it that they can't be righteous. They won't be righteous. They don't ever do righteousness. Not really. And they desperately need to depend upon to follow Jesus again as they are. And that's a better definition of repentance. It's not just dealing with sin. It's actually, I've gained a motivation to follow Jesus to, um, yeah, to, to get my, my worth and identity from him. That's such great news for real people who failed, like me, people who've tried again and again to repent. I don't know how many times, right? To do it right. And we, we fail. But Jesus, is, Jesus reaches out to, to, to us, um, not with just a hand up and, and ideas and concepts, and here's how you can do it with, with the tears, but it's a new way. And it starts with a change heart that he initiates. When the hearee hears Jesus's creative proclamation, repent, something happens. And how do you know if you get it? Well, you're following him. Not perfectly, but you're following him. Your empty, failed, sinful hands are emptied and held out. You, me, we who suffer from affliction and loneliness and selfishness and, and feeling not enoughness, we who suffer from pandemic PTSD, from relational failures over and over, right? From dating? You know what I mean? From trying to deal with your pain by, uh, through addictions, through self-med. You who are oppressed by the demonic, by illness, by mental and emotional powers that you can't shake, you know, destructive ones. You who are afraid that you're cursed by the heavens, that God is disappointed in you. You've fallen from faith. And you don't know what to do right? You're, you're afraid that you've disappointed God and it's over. You've fallen short of his expectations. And if you look in the heavens, you would see the back of his head, not his face. You know, you, Jesus calls you and me, come to me. Stop what you're doing and, and get healing, get peace, get love, get joy, get intimacy, get feelings of enoughness. Come to me, follow me, ask of me, and I will make you feel something different, something hopeful. In this, in this great news, this is what repentance, this is the positive aspect of repentance. I will give you access to an alien power through my spirit, my spirit who will come and dwell in your inner being, and you will begin to feel adored by God. And by the way, you will sin less. You will want to sin less because most sin is built on self-centeredness, and you will feel love for others. So stop looking for relief anywhere else other than in my arms, Jesus says. In God's arms, in the Spirit's arms, it's all the same thing. 
This is what broader repentance is all about. Have you ever heard that? And we have examples of the two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, Johnson, James, and they were doing their stuff, finding their value, trying to find value in career, family, relationships, finance, their trade, their sexuality, their sex, their interest, and who knows what else. All good things. Most good things. Okay, some good things. <laughs> not not all evil, that's for sure. And Matthew portrays them. See, this, this, but this is the different perspective. Matthew portrays them as darkness people, people of darkness. That doesn't mean they're evil. That just means they're, you know, they're looking for light in the wrong places. Then Jesus comes along, unplanned, and offers them so much more. And he does the preemptive strike. He makes them want to follow. So what they had been looking for in their lives is a deeper connectedness and enoughness. And by the way, euphemisms that we speak about in the dance for loneliness and shame. And by the way, again, shameless plug, www.the-dance.org. I'm begging you trying it out. It's, it's, uh, it's shocking. And I'm, I'm, I'm no judgment. We Christians have stopped hearing the celestial music. God's dancing, and, and we just have lost the dance. We've lost the music. We, we struggle with shame, that critical inner voice that's hammering us. And so we created this short two-hour, evidence-based, satisfaction-guaranteed gospel experience online. It's so good. I'm begging you, if you haven't done it, check it out. Uh, give us feedback, but but then share it with family and friends. There can't be a better uh, Valentine's Day gift, right? That's coming up, all right? Uh, you can actually, the, 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 the idea is to use the gospel throughout it so that, that Christians can remember uh, what, what Jesus died for. Not just heaven, but the experience of Jesus's love and like now, a little bit more. Not total, but a little, and uh, it's worth it. Jesus offers us so much more connectedness and enoughness, more than we can even be aware, perfectly in heaven, but here as well. And fits and starts here. And he doesn't unpack it all. He just says, follow me, repent. And they do. Yeah. Why does Matthew taking this approach? I think, see this, I'm just going to toss this out there. Push back, bill at gospel-app.com. I think it helps him understand his wonky calling, Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. Listen, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth, right? I mean, this is a guy who nobody would have expected Jesus to pursue. He's pursuing Matthew, not the other way around. He says, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. He could have said immediately, because, but this is as stark as it gets. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders who were concerned about uh, purity, uh, right, when the Pharisees saw this, the keepers of pure, they asked his disciples, what is your teacher? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, I mean, really, they were Come on, they were, that's kind of insensitive to say it right in front of Jesus, but anyway. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. And by the way, he is not referring to them as, as healthy. This is one of those wonderful tongue-in-cheek uh, statements of Jesus. You know people laughed right afterwards, right? They, you know they did. And he continues, but go on and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner's 
That's exactly his his kingdom. What Jesus has done is is filled up this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The the Trinity opened up. It's full of sinners, redeemed sinners. That's all there are. I love how the series, The Chosen, presents this calling of Matthew. They give Matt a wonderful backstory. It's creative. It's relatable. Could be. Matthew is despised by everyone. That's probably right. He struggles with OCD. I don't know, but it's a great presentation. He's isolated, lonely. He eats alone, inquisitive. But And then Jesus pursues him. I love it. It could be. Again, Jesus is pursuing a tokoi. We'll talk about tokoi in, in the, the next section. This, this is the word, the Greek word that is describing all the broken people on the hillside. That's, that's what Jesus is pursuing. I've, I've been a church planter. I mean, that's a little scary if, that, if that's what you're trying to fill your, your beginning church with as tokoi. I mean, most people don't recommend that, but Jesus did. He does not demand change of Matthew in order to follow, or reformation, or baptism, or circumcision, or offering at the temple, profession of faith, loyally. He doesn't pass a plate. He doesn't, we, he doesn't talk about 10% that Matthew should give, or a life change even. He abruptly comes to Matt for no reason and says, follow me. Repent, meaning stop what you're doing and come, you know, drink of me. And Matthew does it. He can't do anything else. It's an immediate thing. Something has happened. It's a miracle. Another unlikely Jesus follower uh, becomes core of the new movement and becomes an author of one of the biographies. I mean, the heavens, the heavens are laughing out loud. Hilarious. Jesus loved Matthew, and no one else did, probably including Matthew. I mean, even as he writes his bio, the gospel, Matthew can't explain what happened. It, it just happened. I'm not going to give any more details. So, Matthew, why did you give up all that money and career and follow? You know, I don't know. But at the moment, it was as natural as gravity. Were you made whole, perfected? <laughs> no. Were you now a good person, pure? No. Did you believe Jesus was the divine, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the world, the one who would die for your sins? I knew nothing of that. Nope. I was not the poster child for righteousness or Jewishness or faithfulness or sound theology or perfection or purity. Man, I'm the poster child for repentance. And I have to tell you, he did that too. He initiated, he shoved that down my throat. But when he did, I changed and I needed to follow. I wanted to follow. I didn't want anything else more in the world. And this is what Jesus continues to do. He keeps creating on that hillside, we'll look at this in the next podcast. We'll begin the Sermon on the Mount starting at 423. He's creating, he's barahing, he's proclaiming new life on that hillside for those messed up people. He's creating repentance for Jews and non-Jews. He's saying, are you tired of sucking on the dry teats of this world and getting minimum amounts of enoughness and connectedness in this zero-sum game that seems to give a lot to some people and almost none to others? Well, then follow me. Come to me and drink freely of me. Repent. And then he makes it happen. So often when we think of repent and repentance, we, we think of legalism, a function of the law. So here it is. So you've sinned here and there and over there. And so you need to admit it. You need to be remorseful. Some tears would be great. Some confession would be great. 
Just stop it, do reparation, and then commit to not doing those things ever, ever again, like Jesus told the prostitute, go and sin no more, right? I mean, come on. Honestly, the chances of her sinning again are sky high, 100%. I'm not saying she went back to being a, a prostitute, but she sinned again. She's human, right? So, you know, for those of us who've gone through cycles of stopping sin, particularly addictive sin, right? Think self-medication, think pornography, think, uh, I mean, just name it. And you stop again and again and again. And how's that going for you? Don't you experience shame and shame again, a cycle of shame and repentance, repentance and shame? And, and what we mean is, technically, we want you to be continually sorry and so sorry, so ashamed, so guilt, we want you to, that should cause you to stop sinning. But that's not how that works. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus wants you to positively find your core being in him, your enoughness and connectedness in him. And so we, so replacing that, we say, well, you just need to re- repent harder. Go to another class or read a book on repentance. And you're just not doing it well enough, whatever that is. Well, that's just been a massive failure in the church. But now we see Why? It's a much larger arch. Christians, there is a reason that you're sinning so much and so repetitively. No judgment. Your brain is working against you, particularly with addictions, right? Habits, how many? 60, 70% of our decisions are habitual. We don't even think about them. Among those daily, how many do you think are actually loving others and loving God? You and I are consciously and subconsciously struggling for enoughness and connectedness. And we want more enoughness and connectedness to shut up the voice and the still the pain. You, we act out. We do reactionary behaviors. We hurt ourselves. We hurt others. And so reasonably, I could just say, stop it. But how well do you think that's going to work? How well has it worked? And you can see how impotent that is. Uh, in attachment theory, we talk about interworking models in our brains that mostly make us do things. It's Right? It's our, we're accountable, we're responsible, don't get me wrong, but it's not all our fault. My brain is actually working against me. And many things I'm doing, if I could have stopped, I would have. Truth is, there's something in my brain that doesn't want to stop. Right? That's the problem. At a certain level, I don't want to stop particular sins. It's not reasonable most of the time. Again, think addiction. Let's assume that there is a pain in your brain that's subconsciously driving you to do whatever it takes to get rid of that pain. Neuroscientists, again, the, uh, the uh, yeah, neuroscientists speak of your DACC as, as a place in your brain that receives signals that of pain, right? So you step on a rock, you bump your knee, and, and a signal is sent to your DACC, and it translates it to an ouch. Listen, that's the very same part of the brain that experiences pain of loneliness. When you've been isolated, there's a part of your brain that gets a signal and it says, ouch, you can't hear it, but the rest of your midbrain can. And and believe me, it kicks into gear and it bullies the rest of your brain, including your prefrontal cortex where reason and will is. And it bullies them to do whatever it can think of to stop it without any rational thought process necessarily, as long as that doesn't get in the way. So an addict will have another drink or um, do another drug. And some think, by the way, and I agree that the opioid crisis is to some degree linked to the parallel rise in loneliness. It's our brains trying to get rid of the pain. So stop 
sinning is biblical, but it's often not a reasonable, viable option or a matter of choosing to stop. We're accountable for everything. I'm just suggesting it's not all our fault. And so we need to find another way to take care of the pain that's not harmful to ourselves and to others. And don't mistake what I'm saying. We're each moral agents, meaning that we are responsible and accountable for our choices, our actions, and our inner motivations, which most of the time we're not even aware of. And so all have sinned. The Bible doesn't overstate that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages, what the best of us have earned, is judgment, death, right? But there's something else going on. God looks and would have us changed internally, and he has that kind of power. He would make us and can make us want to love him and love our neighbor more. And that alone would severely reduce my amount of daily sinning. It would. So to you, failed sinners, uh, repetitively failed sinners— perennially failed sinner and me, Jesus comes along, speaks to us, and and, and something happens in our head, and, and we feel something different, something new. We become aware of a new hope, a new source of healing, an enoughness and connectedness through Jesus and in his spirit, and we want to follow him today in expectation and hope that we're going to get something new, a little light, and my DACC is a little happier. The pain, a little bit of the pain's gone. And that's what repentance is. Repent. And Jesus can give that to you and to me. If you're a Christian, he's given it to us once. We have it. And we can access the broader repentance from the Holy Spirit in our inner being. Again, that's what the dance is all about. I I beg you to try the dance. If if you're not quite sure how to do it, we've put all of this in a box and call it the dance. Please check it out. www.the-dance.org. So the disciples are examples of that. Not perfect. And and the message they're now proclaiming is is the exact same message that John gave, but it's new now because the audience is new. This is a new message that we can proclaim to all humanity. It's an international message. Do you need more enoughness and connectedness? Has the places that you've gone to do to get it let you down? Well, um, you can use other people, you can use relationships, you can play the victim, you can dysregulate emotionally, you can drink, you can do drugs, you can do pornography, you can try sex and sexuality. And listen, they work to a degree or another, a little or a lot, or, and by the way, not to the levels you want or I want, or you can follow Jesus, you can run to Jesus, you can throw yourself into his arms, your choice. Repentance is when you actually want to run to Jesus Something's happened, and you want to throw yourself into his arms. You, you're giving up. You, you, Okay, God, take me. Catch. Even though part of your brain says that this just doesn't make any sense, that it would actually work. The disciples did it. They leapt into the arms of Jesus, so to speak. They followed him. They turned away from everything else immediately, other than the only thing they didn't Uh, give up was following this new source. They repented. Makes sense. Here's uh, commentator Bruner. Quote, it does not tell what to turn from specifically. The emphasis is on turning from our preoccupations, sins, or goods toward God. Whatever keeps one turning towards the coming kingdom is that from which one should turn. The very object 
Lessness of the verb stresses the simplicity and so urgency of the turning. Repentance is not merely a change of mind or regret. It is complete change of life direction, enabled by the word of the invading kingdom, and this because enabled our responsibility. We can tell what repentance means by reading the next story, the call of the fishermen. Repentance there means by the power of Jesus's calling word to leave the valued familiar in order to live the excitingly unfamiliar life of following Jesus. So when Jesus says, turn around, he releases that word. Even to us who hear it today, the the spiritual power to turn around or the power to ask for power to turn around, close quote. Repentance is a true miraculous gift of God to stuck people who need rescue and can't rescue themselves. The essence of the Greek tokoi, as we'll see. They are men, women, boys, and girls of all stripes and types and sizes who are stuck in the cycles of pursuing enoughness and connectedness wherever we can in this zero-sum creation with little success. Or better, maybe the hope of a fleeting enoughness or connectedness hit. When Jesus says, repent, it enables the unrescued to look to God for rescue. Here's Bruner again, quote, whatever Jesus says is pregnant with the power to perform it, close quote. So stepping back from this section, we can see Jesus speaking the kingdom into being. His words created followers, and they followed immediately. And this is the context from which we want to hear the Sermon on the Mount now. When Jesus speaks the creative baraing word of God, Blessed are you. He is creating a state of being experientially blessed, happy, fortunate, blissful, safe, secure, alive, dancing free in the beings of the persons that he is directing the word to. They are changed a little or a lot as they are, not as they should be or could be. It would be so cruel for Jesus to be implying you're blessed as long as you fill in the blank. No, Jesus is speaking into the enoughness and connectedness, formlessness, and void in the beings of the persons who he is speaking to, and they're changed. And that's what happens today. When his spirit in your inner being, Christian, speaks these words to you today, right now, maybe through this, in you, your expectation, my expectation is that you too can change. You can feel more enoughness and connectedness in and through him, Jesus, his spirit, and you want to follow him as you turn to him to be your source of enoughness and connectedness. And you ask that of him first. And I'm going to say so much more about that. Uh, Bruner calls this the kingdom beyond our reach. I love that, the kingdom beyond our reach. This kingdom is God's enoughness and connectedness breaking into this dysregulated and dysregulating world. And it seems to break in through the spoken word of Jesus, the retelling of his gospel. And so real quickly, I have a whole message on this, but when Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, this is what they would have known. This is all they would have known. This is their context for making disciples. Jesus, is, Jesus walks into the context, life, and work, and relationships, the sin of real people, and he speaks a powerful, miraculous word, follow me, and they become disciples, Right? That's all. The, that's what the disciples would have thought, right? I mean, you can imagine the troubling nature of that is like, well, but Jesus, you're leaving, you know, Matthew 28, and we don't, we can't, I've never had anybody do that. So Jesus, so track my logic here. That's what was going through their brain. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, they would have said, but Jesus, 
really? You know us. We can't do that. We don't have that kind of power. Only God can do that. Only you can do that. We can do apologetics. That's good. We can use reason. That's good. We can use diagrams, PowerPoint to make it simple. But we don't have power or authority to make habitual dysregulated people who are addicted to getting enoughness and connectedness hits in all the wrong places to turn, to repent, and to look to you for their enoughness and connectedness. It's not in us. We need you. And Jesus would say, yes, by Jove, I think they got it. Go and proclaim my words and know that I'm with you and I'm exerting my power, my powerful bara through your words as you use my words. And, and that's going to change these people just the way you were changed. And you'll see it's you and me and to get together. Uh, but I'm going to change the people. It's my power, not yours. When they repent, and many will, they'll do it because of a miracle, not because you shamed them, not because you guilted them, not because you did a, a, an amazing PowerPoint presentation. So, disciples, go, proclaim the kingdom in your words, in their words, in their context, but also keep asking God to break in to powerfully make his kingdom known to, to people who weren't in. And don't ever stop getting that uh, only God makes disciples, right? That's true. Tell people that. But he's going to use you. You'll see. That's part of what he does. He uses the weak to confound the strong. Just keep preaching what I told you, and I will use those words to do the needed operation. You can trust me, right? Isn't that great? Well, this is what we're going to see witness on the mountain on the hillside in Galilee, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick that up next time. People were getting rescued. They were getting repented. I guess that's the right verb. Not just taught, but changed. Not perfectly. That's heaven. But they're getting new hearts that were able to, for the first time, see faith and hope in Christ. And these people were not just Jews. They were hurting humanity, men, women, boys, and girls, people from a variety of tribes, location, mother tongue, skin colors, sexuality. Every one of them would have been called a sinner, right? They were people living in darkness relative to Torah. These were the ones that Jesus is partial to, okay? All right, uh, but I want to end up uh, this series, this two-part series on calling of disciples by writing my expanded, unauthorized version of Matthew's account in previous podcast. We've done that, and I've made it up to uh, chapter 4, verse 17. So here is my extended screenplay of this section, the calling of the disciples. Here we go. From that point on, Jesus kept repeating the exact same phrase that John had used for the Jews who came out in fear of being caught flat-footed when God arrives. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is now here. And looking back, we now see that what he was saying was that God had personally arrived and had brought with him a powerful rescue for lost humanity. But Jesus did not limit the charge to Jews as John had. Jesus cast that net very broadly. Quote, all who are thirsty, all who are broken, all who have been let down by this generation who are looking in all the wrong places for enoughness and connectedness. Stop what you're doing. How's it working for you anyway? Come and look to me. I have come to rescue broken and lost humanity. You can experience the favor of God. Come now. Close quote. I won't go into the details here. Suffice it to say that Jesus spent some time in itinerant ministry around the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. One particular 
interaction of note was when he walked up to the fishing boat of two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, who was one of John the Baptist's disciples, and he had met him before. They happened to be casting a net into the sea. That was their livelihood and security, after all, catching and selling fish to the locals, but also to traders on the Via Maris, the international highway. There was a demand for our dried fish from as far away as Rome. And he yelled to them something from the shore. Come, be my disciples. Why would we do that? The brothers grumbled, asking no one in particular. And I will make you catchers of people, Jesus said, and mimicked how they were throwing their nets into the water, and he grinned like a young man. Witnesses noted that there was something about his brief words, his call. And first of all, this is not how rabbis typically got disciples. The disciples pursued the discipler and took great care to convince them of their God calling or passion and readiness. But Jesus always did things differently. He, the Rabboni, pursued and called his disciples. What a humble rabbi he was. And there seems no rhyme or reason to the call. These brothers were not gifted in languages or scholarly pursuits. They were blue-collar folk from Bethsaida, not a Jewish ghetto by any stretch of the imagination. But then something happened. There seemed to be something about the way Jesus called them. They stopped what they were doing in mid-toss, came to shore, and followed Jesus. You could tell by the looks on their faces that they were not being coerced or shamed or manipulated. They were excited about this calling. It was like getting a huge gift. Something turned in their lives. No looking back. It certainly rattled their family and friends, I will tell you, and there was no clarification. They ran to catch up to Jesus. What was it about Jesus's invitation? Then the same thing happened with James and John, who were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Jesus said the very same thing to them, and they too, without any hesitancy, immediately left their boat and their father still holding the net they were working on. Whoever Jesus was, he had the ability to call people, and those people would certainly follow and be happy to do so. He didn't require a contract. He didn't require anything. He didn't require that they be righteous or pure, that they adhere to specific rabbinical schools, that they do anything other than to follow him as their teacher, as they are, not as they should be or could be. This was new. But this is how his disciples were called and are still being called. I will say so much more. Well... There it is. I hope that you're finding that uh, this study on the Sermon on the Mount has been helpful and instructive, but mostly I hope and expect that the words of Jesus are life-changing for you. They have been for me. You know, I was reading my thoughts aloud to someone and I started crying. Not sad tears, but powerful tears, joyful tears, because I actually felt moved by the Spirit. I felt loved by Jesus. It's if he was hugging me, right, or dancing with me or laughing with me. It's crazy, right? No, I don't think so. It should be common. Next time, we begin with the larger section that is generally called the Sermon on the Mount, starting at chapter 4, verse 23. In the meantime, I want to invite you to check out my new Instagram post, Gospel App, one word, G-O-S-P-E-L-A-P-P. 
I'm seeing more and more that to experience this gospel, to presently and daily feel God's like for me, his love for me, uh, his dancing over me that Jesus purchased 2,000 years ago, I need regular reminders, kind of gospel bits, gospel tidbits. And, and that's what we're trying to do with Instagram. So who might be benefited? Well, you first, no judgment, just saying. But also, think of discouraged disenfranchised, tired Christians that you know. I mean, and by the way, think of discouraged, disfranchised, tired non-Christians too. He'll come up. We're trying to be very brief, very powerful, very, very real. So check it out. Gospel app, one word. And see you in the next Gospel Rant. Help us get the word out. You can find Gospel Rant anywhere where you get your podcast. Just search for Gospel Rant, two words. So simple, even a boomer like me can do it. Take heart, child of God. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.